What's up, world? This is Jesse Rich with Jesse Rich Podcast, and hello, Monday drivers going to work. I'm going to be doing a segment on that behavioral change again, another science that we talked about before, some paradox with it, myths. Um, let's see here. There's optimal rate of growth. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here that I thought was kind of neat, and I figured that you know, I'm pretty much doing some of this stuff with my podcast and with my streaming that maybe you guys would like to hear some of the myth and magic of a deliberate practice goes all the way from basketball players to baseball players and so on and so forth it is a whole couple of pages here i'm going to make it two segments we're going to jump right in we're going to do sciences and other interesting facts on sunday and keeping up with the schedule on tuesday i'll be doing something either Consider that I consider fun. This Tuesday, I'll be doing something on League of Legends. Probably try to cover up some of that background lore, the boring stuff. That way, we can jump into me getting into character when I read the lore of the other characters. And building myself into, if I'm talking as, let's say, Warwick, for example, I'm really getting that gargly voice, even though I don't think he says anything. Try to get into the feel so I can get better at my storytelling aspects. And then... I'm debating so far. I got to get a hold of a buddy of mine. I might see if I might get my first guest star on Thursday. Or if he doesn't want to, we're going to play something completely random. I'm thinking a game of Would You Rather, but just click on the internet and let it take us away. And I'll explain my reasoning on why I would choose that. And you can also comment to me on my Discord or in my email. Y'all know my email. To let me know what you would rather or which questions were hard or maybe the reasoning why. Me and a buddy of mine played it at work the other day, and it was completely wild for both of our reasons, so it was a lot of fun. Um, but anyways, with all that being said, we're going to jump into more of this behavioral change and deliberate practice. Stay tuned. The Paradox of Behavioral Change The natural tendency of life is to find stability. In biology, we refer to this process as the equilibrium of ho or homeostasis. For example, consider your blood pressure. When it dips too low, your heart rate speeds up and nudges your blood pressure back into a healthy range. When it rises too high, your kidneys reduce the amount of fluids in your body and flushing it out in the urine. All the while, your blood vessels help maintain the balance by contracting and expanding as needed. The human body employs hundreds of these feedback loops to keep your blood pressure body temperature, glucose levels, calcium levels, and many other processes at the stable equilibrium. In his book, Mastery, martial arts master George Lennard points out that our daily lives also develop their own level of homeostasis. We fall into patterns of how often we do or don't exercise, how often we do or don't clean the dishes, how often we do or don't call our parents, and everything in between. Over time, each of us settles into our own version of the equilibrium. Like your body, there are many forces and feedback loops that moderate the particular equilibrium of your habits. Your daily routines are governed by a delicate balance between your environment, your genetic potential, and your tracking methods and many other forces. As time goes on, this equilibrium comes so normal that it becomes invisible. All these forces are interacting each day, but we rarely notice how they shape our behaviors. 
That is, until we try to make a change. The myth of radical change. The myth of radical change and overnight success is pervasive in our culture. Experts say stuff like the biggest mistake most people make in their lives is not setting goals high enough. Or they tell us if you want massive results, then you have to take massive action. On the surface, these phases sound inspiring. What we fail to realize, however, is that any quest for rapid growth contradicts every stabilizing force in our lives. Remember, an natural tendency of life is to find stability. Any time equilibrium is lost, the system is motivated to restore it. If you step too far outside the bounds of your normal performance, then nearly all the forces in your life will be screaming to get you back to your equilibrium. If you take massive action, then you quickly run into a massive roadblock. Nearly anyone who has tried to make a big change in their life has experienced some form of this. You finally work up the motivation to stick to a new diet, only to find your coworkers suddenly undermanding your efforts. You commit to going to a run each night, but within a week you're asked to stay late for work. You start a new meditation habit, eh, but your kids keep barging into the room. Resistance is proportionate to the size and speed of the change, whether or not the change is favorable or an unfavorable one. The forces of our lives establish our current equilibrium will work to pull us back whether we are trying to change for the better or for the worse. That was George Lennard. In other words, the faster you try to change, the more likely you are to backslide. The very pursuit of rapid change dials up a wide range of counteracting forces which are fighting to pull you back into your previous lifestyle. You might be able to beat the equilibrium for a while, but pretty soon your energy fades and you backslide thing begins. The optimal rate of growth. Of course, change is, a certain, is certainly possible, but it is only sustainable within a fairly narrow window. When an athlete trains too hard, she ends up sick or injured. When a company changes course too quickly, the culture breaks down and the employees get burnt out. When a leader pushes his personal agenda to the extreme, the nation riots and the people reestablish the balance of power. Living systems don't, do not like extreme conditions. Thankfully, there's a better way. Consider the following quote for uh, or from system expert Peter Singe. Virtually all natural systems from ecosystems to animals to organizations have intrastatically optimal rates of growth. The optimal rate is far less than the faster possible growth when growth becomes extensive as it does in cancer. The system itself will seek to compensate by slowing down, perhaps putting the organization's survival at risk in the process. By contrast, when you accumulate small wins and focus on 1% improvements, you nudge the equilibrium forward. It is like building muscle. If the weight is too light, your muscle will atrophy. If the weight is too heavy, you'll end up injured. But if the weight is a touch beyond your normal, 
then your muscles will adapt to the new stimulus and equilibrium will be a small step forward. So on this little picture I have here, it literally has on the x-axis effort, on the y-axis stability, and the point where it's all stability but little effort, that's point A, which is laziness. But all effort with no stability is B, which is a burnout. There is a curve in between both of them. You want to hit that perfect sweet zone for the long-term growth. The paradox of behavioral change. In order for change to last, we must work with the fundamental forces in our lives, not against them. Nearly everything that makes up your daily life has an equilibrium, a natural set point, a normal place, a typical rhythm. If we reach too far beyond this equilibrium, we will find ourselves being yanked back to the baseline. Thus, the best way to achieve a new level of equilibrium is not with a radical change, but through small wins each day. This is a great paradox of behavioral change. If you try to change your life all at once, you will quickly find yourself pulled back into the same patterns as before. But if you merely focus on changing your normal day, you will find your life changes naturally as a side effect. The Beginner's Guide to Deliberate Practice is what we are going over next. The Beginner's Guide to Deliberate Practice. In some circles, Ben Hogan is credited with inventing practice. Hogan was one of the greatest golfers in the 20th century, and accomplished he achieved through tireless repetition. He simply loved to practice. Hogan said, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning so I could hit balls. I'd be in practice tee at the crack of dawn, hit balls for a few hours, then take a break and get right back at it. For Hogan, every practice session had a purpose. He reportedly spent years breaking down each phase of the golf swing and testing new methods for each segment. The result was near perfection. He developed one of the most finely tuned golf swings in the history of the game. His precision made him more like a surgeon than a golfer. During the 1953 Masters, for example, Hogan hit the flagstick on the back-to-back holes. A few days later, he broke the tournament scoring record. Hogan methodically broke the game of golf down into chunks and figured out how he could master each section. For example, he was one of the first golfers to assign specific yardage to each golf club. Then he studied each course carefully and used trees and sand bunkers as reference points to inform him about the distance of each shot. Hogan finished his career with nine major championships, ranking fourth in all time during his prime. Other golfers simply attribute his remarkable success to Hogan's secret. Today, experts have new term for his rigorous style of improvement, deliberate practice. So what is deliberate practice? 
Deliberate practice refers to a special type of practice that is purposely and systematically, while regular practice might include mindless repetition. Deliberate practice requires focused attention and is conducted with a specific goal of improving performance. When Ben Hogan carefully reconstructed each step of his golf swing, he would engage in deliberate practice. He wasn't just taking cuts, he was finely tuning his technique. While regular practice might include mindless repetition, deliberate practice requires focused attention and is conducted with a specific goal of improving performance. The greatest challenge of deliberate practice is to remain focused in the beginning. Showing up and putting in your reps is the most important thing. But after a while, we begin to carelessly overlook small errors and miss daily opportunities for improvement. This is because the natural tendencies of the human brain is to transform repeated behavior into an automatic habit. For example, when you first learned to tie your shoes, you had to think carefully about each step of the process. Today, after many repetitions, your brain can perform this sequence automatically. The more we repeat a task, the more mindless it becomes. Mindless activity is the enemy of deliberate practice. The danger of practicing the same thing again and again is that progress becomes assumed. Too often we assume we are getting better simply because we are gaining experience, but in reality, we are merely reinforcing our current habits, not improving them. Claiming that improvement requires attention and effort sounds logical enough, but what does deliberate practice actually look like in the real world? World. Well, let's talk about it. Here's some examples. One of my favorite examples of deliberate practice is discussed in Talent is Overrated by, G- by Jihoff Colvin. In the book, Colvin describes how Benjamin Franklin used deliberate practice to improve his writing skills. When he was a teenager, Benjamin Franklin was criticized by his father for his poor writing abilities. Unlike most teenagers, young Ben took his father's advice serious and vowed to improve his writing skills. He began by finding a publication written by some of the best authors of his days. Then Franklin went through each article line by line and wrote down the meaning of every sentence. Next, he wrote each article in his own words, then compared his version to the original. Each time, I discovered something of my faults and corrected them. Eventually, Franklin realized his vocabulary held him back from better writing, and so he focused intensely on that area. Deliberate practice always follows the same pattern. Break the overall process down into parts. Identify your weakness. Test your new strategy for each section. And then integrate your learning into an overall process. Here are some more examples. Cooking. Gyro Uno, the subject of the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi, is a, set, is a chef and owner of an award-winning sushi restaurant in Tokyo. 
Gyro has dedicated his life to perfecting the art of making sushi, and he expects the same from his apprentices. Each apprentice must master one tiny part of the sushi making process at a time. How to wire a towel, how to use a knife, how to cut the fish, and so on. One apprentice trained under Jiro for 10 years before being allowed to cook the eggs. Each step of the process is taught with the utmost care. How about martial arts? Josh, I think it's pronounced Waitsky? Arthur of The Art of Learning is a martial artist who holds several U.S. national medals and a 2004 world championship in the finals of one competition he noticed a weakness. When an opponent illegally headbutted him in the nose, Waitskin flew into range. His emotion caused him to lose control and forget his strategy. Afterwards, he specifically sought out training partners who would fight dirty so he could practice remaining calm and principle in the face of chaos. They were giving me a valuable opportunity to expand my threshold for turbulence, Watsky wrote. Dirty players were my best teachers. How about chess? Magnus Carlsen is a chess grandmaster grandmaster, and one of the highest rated players in history. Once distinguishing feature of great chess players is their ability to recognize chunks, which are specific arrangements of the pieces on the board. Some experts estimate that grandmasters can identify around 300,000 different chunks. Interestingly, Carlson learned the game by playing computer chess, which allowed him to play multiple games at once. Not only did this strategy allow him to learn chunks much faster than someone playing in-person games, but also gave him a chance to make more mistakes and correct his weaknesses at an accelerated pace. What about music? Many great musicians recommend repeating the most challenging sections of a song until you master them. Virtuoso violinist Nathan Malstein says, Practice as much as you feel you can accomplish with concentration. Once, when I became considered because others around me practice all day long, I asked my professor, how many hours should I practice? And he said, it really doesn't matter how long. If you practice with your fingers, no amount is enough. If you practice with your head, two hours is plenty. What about basketball? Considering the following example for Ombre Daniels. Oh, we've already mentioned this before. That was where player A shot 200 shots, player B shot 50, but one was actually focusing on the shots while the other one was taking breaks in between there. The unsung hero of deliberate practice. Perhaps the greatest difference between deliberate practice and simple repetition is this. Feedback. Anyone who has mastered the art of deliberate practice 
rather they are an athlete like Ben Hogan or a writer like Benjamin Franklin, was or has developed methods for receiving continual feedback on their performance. There are many ways to receive feedback. Let's discuss two. The first effective feedback system is measurement. The thing we measure are the things we improve. This holds true for the number of pages we read, the number of push-ups we do, the number of sales calls we make, and any other task that is important to us. It is only through measurement that we have any proof of whether we are getting better or worse. The second effective feedback system is coaching. One consistent finding across disciplines is that coaches are often essential for sustaining deliberate practice. In many cases, it is nearly impossible to both perform a task and measure your progress at the same time. Good coaches can track your progress, find small ways to improve, and hold you accountable to delivering your best efforts each day. The promise of deliberate practice. Humans have a remarkable capacity to improve their performance in nearly any area of life. If they train in the correct way, this is easier said than done. Deliberate practice is not a comfortable activity. It requires sustained effort and concentration. The people who master the art of deliberate practice are committed to being lifelong learners, always exploring and experimenting and refining. Deliberate practice is not a magic pill, but if you can manage to maintain your focus and commitment, then the promise of deliberate practice is quite alluring to get the most out of what you got. Let's talk about the myth and the magic of deliberate practice. Do, uh, Joe DiMaggio is one of the greatest hitters in baseball history. A three-time winner of the Most Valuable Player Award, DiMaggio was selected to the Major League's All-Star team in which his 13 in which of his 13 seasons he is best known for his remarkable hitting streak during 1941 season when he hit when he recorded a hit in 56 consecutive games a record that stands more than 75 years later i recently heard a little known story about how demagio acquired his exceptional ability joe demagio in 1939 published by Bowman Gum for play ball cards. It was one of his pictures. It was really neat. As the story goes, a journalist was interviewing DiMaggio at his home and asked him what it felt like to be such a natural hitter. Without saying a word, he dragged the reporter downstairs in the shadows of his basement. DiMaggio picked up a bat and began repeat, repeat a series of practice swings. Before each swing, he would call out a particular pitch, such as fastball, low and away, or slider, inside. 
and adjust his approach accordingly. Once finished the routine, DiMaggio set the bat down, picked up a piece of chalk, and scratched a tally mark on the wall. Then he flicked on the lights and revealed thousands of tally marks covering his basement wall. Supposedly, DiMaggio then looked at the journalist and said, Don't ever tell me I'm a natural hitter again. DiMaggio then looked at the journalist and said, Oh, they've repeated it. I hate when articles do that. We love stories like this. Stories that highlight how remarkable success is the product of effort and perseverance. In recent years, the study of hard work has developed into a science pursuit. Experts have began to refer to focus and effort training as deliberate practice. And it is widely considered to be the recipe for success. There is no doubt that deliberate practice can be the recipe for success, but only under the circum, only under certain conditions. If we are serious about maximizing our potential, then we will need to know when deliberate practice makes a difference between success and failure, and when it doesn't. Before we can capture the power of deliberate practice, we need to understand its limitations. The Vision of Greatness In the early 1990s, a man named Louis Rosenbaum began analyzing the eyesight of Major League Baseball players. He soon found out that professional baseball players were nothing like normal people when it came to vision. According to Rosenbaum research, the average eyesight of a major league position player is 2011. In other words, the typical professional player can read later letters from 20 feet away that a normal person can only read from 11 feet away. Ted Williams, who is widely regarded as one of the greatest hitters in Baseball History reported that he had a 2010 vision when he was tested in his military during World War II. The anatomical limit for human vision is 28. Most of Rosenbaum's research was conducted on the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. According to him, half the guys on the Dodgers major league roster was 2010 uncorrected <laughs> excuse me so he has on here one of the players had a 29.2 vision um it looks like uh five of the people had a 2010 a hundred and i want to say about 75 people had 20 12.5 Still over 100, about 120 people were 2015. Over 40 people, about 50 people, yeah. About 50 people had 2020 vision. Uh, maybe 10 people had 2025. And one person had 2030 out of the people that he researched. Eyesight and visual results 
of professional baseball players from 1993 to 1995. That was the data I just read you. In his excellent book, The Sports Gene, author Dave Epstein explains that this visual trend holds true at each level of the sport. On average, major league players have better vision than minor league players who have better vision than college players who have better vision than the general population. If you want to play professional baseball, it helps to practice like DiMaggio, but you also need the eyesight of an eagle. In highly competitive fields, deliberate practice is often necessary, but not sufficient for success. What about the deliberate practice myth? The myth of deliberate practice is that you can fashion yourself into anything with enough work and effort. While human beings do possess a remarkable ability to develop their skill, there are limits to how far any individual can go. Your genes set a boundary around what is possible. In recent decades, behavioral genesists have discovered that our genes impact nearly every human trait. We are not merely talking about physical characteristics like height and eyesight, but mental abilities as well. Your genes impact everything from your short-term memory abilities to your mental processing speed to your willingness to practice. One of my favorite examples is tennis great Stephanie Griff. When she was tested against other elite tennis players as a teenager, she not only scored the highest on physical attributes like lung capacity and motor skills, but also on a competitive desire. She was that once-in-a-generation talent who has both the most gifted and most driven person on the court. During a conversation I had with Robert Pullman, one of the top behavioral genesis in the world, he said, it is now at a point where we have stopped testing to see if the traits have a genetic component because we literally can't find a single one that isn't influenced by our genes. If you want to learn more about the power of behavioral genetics, this audio review oh, it has an advertisement. How big is the influence of genes on performance? Is it, it's hard to say. Some researchers have estimated that our genes accounted for between 25 to 35 percent of our differences in performance. Obviously, that number can vary wildly depending on the field you're studying. So where does this leave us? Well, while Genesis influence or genetics influence performance, they do not determine performance. Do not confuse destiny with opportunity. Genes provide opportunity. They do not determine our destiny. It's similar to a game of cards. You have a better opportunity if you are dealt a better hand, but you also need to play the hand well to win. Layer your skills. How do we play our hand well? How do we maximize our genetic potential in life?
whatever that might be. One strategy is to layer your skills on top of one another. Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, explains the strategy perfectly. He writes, Everyone has at least a few areas in which they could be in the top 25 with some effort. In my case, I can draw better than most people, but I'm hardly an artist. And I'm not any funnier than the average stand-up comedian who never makes it big. But I'm funnier than most people. The magic is that few people can draw well and write jokes. It's the combination of the two that makes what I do so rare. And when you add in my business background, suddenly I had a topic that few cartoonists could hope to understand without living it. If you can't win by being better, then win by being different. By combining your skills, you reduce the level of competition, which makes it easier to stand out regardless of your natural abilities. Lastly, the magic of deliberate practice. Sun Tzu, the legendary military strategist who wrote The Art of War, believed in only fighting battles where the odds were in his favor. He wrote in War, the victorious strategy only seeks battle after the victory has been won. Similarly, we should seek to fight battles where the genetic odds are in our favor. It is impossible to try to try everything in life. Each of us could become any one of the billion different things. Thus, if you inspire to maximize your success, then you should train hard and practice deliberately in areas where the genetic odds are in your favor or where you can overlap your skill in the compelling way. Deliberate practice is necessary for success, but it is not sufficient. The people at the top of any competitive field are both well-suited and well-trained. To maximize your potential, you need to not only engage in consistent and purposeful practice, but also to align your ambitions with your natural abilities. Regardless of where we choose to apply ourselves, deliberate practice can help us maximize our potential. No matter what cards were dealt, that is the magic of deliberate practice. It turns potential into reality. So I hope as you all are going in on this Monday morning that this became very inspiring to you guys. Eye-opening for you all. I know it has for me. I um, I really like how it was talking about some natural genetics involved in there. I have, um, I've never gotten upset when it came to certain things. Um, I'm getting a group of friends with uh, back in high school and they'd make fun of me and I'd make fun of me too with them. Like y'all could sit here on here and comment how horrible I'm doing at my podcast. And I'm going to take anything that you all say when you call me the bad words or anything like that. And that's pushed to the side. 
I mean, y'all can send me anything like that. None of that's going to matter. But you say something like that, and you also put something in there where it's talking about, oh, you're still stuttering on words. I'm going to focus on that little part because I know I do. I've missaid some words here. I've been trying a new practice, that deliberate practice we're talking about where I read over the article in my own voice before I speak it. And I'm probably not the funniest person or not the most informative person on here. But that's what I'm saying. When I look at stuff like that and you go to make fun of me, I I don't care. I like being in the limelight. Being on here on the podcast, talking to people, telling my opinion, or just having a good time at it is something that is in my genetics. I like being in front without getting upset of what people's attitudes are toward me. Sure, in certain situations, like let's take work, for example, all my, I work as a security guard. I'm not going to mention the company I work for. I do not want to get that part involved. I want to keep that private, but I work as a security guard. You put me with other security guards, I'm joking. I'm having a good time. We're, you know, uh, just acting crazy. But you put a customer in front of me, one of my main people I have to take care of, and it instantly changes to where I'm not joking no more. I I flip my switch and I'm extremely professional. And that's because I've been in this field for a while, so it's kind of like that mindless progression that they were talking about. It's exactly the same thing with this. I might do my deliberate practice to try to make sure I don't stutter on words, even I'm talking about it, messing it up. And... I'm trying to get better for you guys, but if you all want to put me down or say anything like that, go for it, because I'm only going to focus on what's important when it comes to that comment. So I hope you all enjoyed this segment. If you have any comments, you all know I throw my Discord on here. You all know my email. Hit me up. Um, I'm also streaming on Twitch. You want to watch that, give me a holler. But somehow reach out to me so I can hear these criticisms so I could get better. Um, But... Hope you all enjoy your all's day. I know it's a Monday, first day of the week. Kind of sucks, but tell your friends and family to hit me up. Please do not forget to support my podcast. And always, I love you all. Later.